we've been talking about these in terms of six values that will revolutionize your life and ministry. I'm not doing this just from the personal standpoint. A lot of times we take Christian teaching just for, we take it like self-help stuff. It's just for me and helps me to feel better and live my life more effectively. I don't believe that the Christian life takes place in isolation. I don't believe it takes place merely on an individual level. God loves us and deals with us as individuals, doesn't he? But God really relates to us as individuals in the context of community. And that's a hard uh, point to sell in a culture that always pulls us back towards a kind of individualism. Individuality is one thing. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? The fact that you and I are, are, are different people and we may think differently on certain issues and we may be the same on others. We look differently. We've got, in, in this room, we've got uh, people of different cultures, different ethnicities, different uh, national background, uh, different thoughts, and we come from different denominational backgrounds, and we all find ourselves being kind of evangelical, neo-charismatic, Pentecostal, something or another, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians, but some of you, you come out of, we come out of Baptist, Methodist, uh, et cetera, et cetera, we, but yet we, we find that we are, we are at our best when we come together in unity and in the spirit of community, because that's what the church is about, and that's what the New Testament is about. It's about God forming the church through the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, uh, the church was born, and uh, what happens is that uh, when we saw in, the, in, our, in our responsive reading this morning from Romans 12, each one of us is a part of the body of Christ, and each one of us is an important member of it, and we need to find out who we are and what we are and where we fit in that and work in that context. You can't really do the Christian faith too well or really effectively or to any meaningful significance by yourself sitting at home. Or, or in, in a, if you were in an igloo somewhere in, in, a, in, in the North Pole or something, and they have igloos in the North Pole, uh, it's, it's something that is lived out among people. It's lived out in your job. It's lived out in your neighbor. It's lived out. Your Christianity, your faith is really demonstrated in how you treat people, how you love, how you, how you serve, how you give. And so we talk about our lives, but we also talk about our ministry. And it's really important to apply these principles to what we are doing together and what you're doing in serving the world in Jesus' name. How many of you realize that you are a minister? You, have, y'all got a, you realize you have a ministry, right? Yes. Yeah. Perseverance. Perseverance. Our text this morning, Hebrews, two verses, and there's a few texts that we'll bring in to the discussion, but in Hebrews 10, verses 35 and 36, the writer uh, writes these words. He says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. In verse 36, he says, you need to persevere. Why? So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, don't jettison, don't throw away your confidence. In the book of Hebrews, we have some unnamed writer. Many people think that it is possibly Paul. But for the most part, the consensus is that we don't know exactly who wrote the epistle to the Hebrews, but these Jewish believers, apparently, having come to living faith in Christ Jesus, having received the Word of God, having received the Holy Spirit, having been born again because they believed in in Jesus the Messiah, first of all, being Jewish folk and being Jewish converts to Christ, they evidently are beginning to suffer persecution and rejection and and all kinds of pain at the hands of their brothers and sisters and their friends and their families and their, in their communities for their testimony for Christ. 
And the point of, the, of this letter basically is to encourage these Jewish Christians by helping them to understand that Jesus is better than the Old Testament and better than Moses, that the New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant, that what we have in grace in Christ Jesus is better than what they had, although even in the Old Testament, those who succeeded and those who pleased God, those who overcame, they overcame by faith. And so it really has, as we've talked from Romans last week, it's always been, God's intent has always been to justify people by faith. And those in the Old Testament that pleased God and that obtained a good report, as the, uh, I think the King James Version says out of Romans 12, they did that not merely by works, but by faith. And their works are merely the actions and the, the behavior that carried out or that expressed and and that walked out their faith, but they really got over because they believed and trusted the Word of God. And so he goes on to encourage them, says, listen, understand the superiority of what you have. Understand the, the, the blessing of the new covenant. Understand the difference between what you came out of and what you've come into. What you came out of wasn't bad, but it was not sufficient. And so in one place he says, you know, you haven't come in this in this." age, you haven't come to, you know, a mountain with fire and smoke and this kind of fearful, dreadful revelation of God where, you, you know, he's, he's, you're scared to death and God is about to speak and if you touch the mountain you'll die and, and everything is, and, and it's like all shrouded in mystery and all shrouded in, in fear and, 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 and terror. But you've come to this new thing. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come to this, this company, this community of people that are, have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who have been made perfect by the blood of Christ. You've come into this new community. You've come into this wonderful experience. You came out of that and you came into the fullness because all of that was looking forward to what you have now. But the problem is for the Hebrews and the problem is for us is that what happens is, what had happened was that they had become lax and they had begun to loosen their grip and they had begun to become discouraged and they were beginning to give up and let go because sometimes the Christian life is harder than people think it is. You know, we don't lie to people and tell them, you know, you get saved, come to Jesus, it's going to be like a bed of roses. Life, oh, it's just, we just over here, it's just hallelujah all the time, hallelujah. Every day I'm happy. Everybody loves me. Everybody treats me so well. <clears throat> I, I, I have and all my depression and anxiety, it all just vanished. Now, I, you know, I'm, 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 a big, I'm a big proponent of us dealing with depression and anxiety and all of those emotions according to the Word of God. And I believe that we can bring depression under, under the dominion of the Word of God and the Spirit and the truth of God's Word. I believe that we can dispel anxiety. As a matter of fact, we're commanded to. Bible says be anxious for nothing, but, but, it doesn't, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't kind of at least knock on our door. It doesn't mean that we don't have our bad days and good days. And so what happens is sometimes we tell people, we say, well, you know what, this is, and, and it is because many of you will attest to this fact that as opposed to your former life in sin, there is really no comparison to this life. Yes, this is a life of challenge. This is a life of struggle sometimes. It's a life sometimes of persecution. It's a, it's a life where, where sometimes it is difficult. Jesus didn't say there's no burden. He said, take my yoke upon you. He says, come to me, all you that labor and are, are heavy laden, your burden, and I'll give you rest. Now, you take off that yoke of sin. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden 
it's light. There is a yoke, there is a responsibility, but compared to the other thing, it's easy and it's light. You know why? First of all, because we are right with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We have a right relationship. We've been reconciled to the Father. Secondly, we know eternally that we are all good. We are cool. Eternally. I know that most of us do not want to exit this life prematurely, right? I know that most of us are not, don't have some sort of death wish, and I know that Although Christians are saying, you know, Jesus come back today, most of you want him to wait a while because you got some stuff you want to do. But then, until you get really frustrated, and then you say, you know, just come on back, Lord. But he says, it's not about what you think anyway. It's God, the Father knows when that's going to happen, so don't worry about that. But the thing about it is, as believers in Christ, no matter what we go through, we know that eternally we are secure in Christ. We are safe in his arms. Nothing can ultimately harm us because even if they kill us, what does that mean? It means we spend eternity in the presence of our loving God, our Heavenly Father, Son, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It means we, we spend eternity with Jesus. I mean, we cannot lose. We, there's, no, there's no downside to this. There's no ultimate downside when you look at life through the eyes of faith. But there's a tendency, undoubtedly, for these believers to, to give up and let go. And so the writer says, this is what you've got to do. He says, you've got to make sure that you do not throw away your confidence. Don't jettison, don't, don't trash your confidence. And you can do that, can't you? Sometimes we make, a, we make a decision in our minds that, you know what? I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trusting. I'm, I'm tired of believing. We just give in to the enemy. We just give in to doubt. We just give in to sin. We just give in to fear. He says, don't cast away your confidence. Why? Because here's the principle, and get this, get this, and get this good. It will be richly rewarded. Your confidence in God, your faith in God, your testimony in Christ Jesus, the promise is that as you trust him and walk with him and love him and serve him and, 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 and avail yourself to him and submit to him, your confidence in him, your, your, your relationship, it will be richly rewarded. That is a fact. Yes, it costs you something to serve Jesus. But we gain so much more. And so he says you need to persevere. Because this is why. So that when you have done the will of God, when you have walked with Christ, when you have read your Bible and when you have prayed consistently and when you have shared your faith and when you have, have, have turned aside from sin and when you have allowed this, the, the, God to crucify the, your sinful desires, when you have walked in the Spirit and not fulfilled the lust of the flesh for a season, when, you, when, you, when you're doing the right thing, he says you need to persevere. So when you've done the will of God, you go all the way because what happens is we come up short. We fall short, don't we? Isn't it something how... You know, sometimes you see somebody and they're doing so good and they're doing so well and they're, and they're, just, they're just doing, everything is just, just seems to be so right and then all of a sudden they just, they quit at the inopportune time. He says, you got to make sure that you persevere so that after you've done the will of God, after you've gotten saved, after you've given your life to Jesus and after you've walked with God, you will ultimately receive what he's promised because guess what? If you quit, you don't get the prize. I don't, I'm, I'm not a marathon runner. I, uh, have, I, I rode my bicycle in a marathon when they used to do the race where they messed it up. And I know this, you know, even when we did the Acura bike tour um, and other rides that I've done, 
at the end, you get something, right? You get like, I got my little medal from the Acura bike. I got, I hang, I got a little rack in my, in my, uh, my house and where I, I kind of throw those things, those and, and back and passes from gigs, backstage passes, you know, they're interesting. And, uh, and so I got, you know, I used to do this, this diabetes ride called the Tour de Cure. And you always get something. But you know what? It's like this. You don't get stuff when you quit. Because they don't give it out at the beginning. They give it out at the end. Now, maybe, theoretically, what I could have done was I could have started out the ride. I could have had somebody come along and drive my, my truck up, could have thrown the bikes in, and then drove around to the end and just chilled at a restaurant or something and waited until it seems about time. You won't want to be the first one back because, you know, They'd look at me and say, no way. But, you know, you wait, you know, about the middle of the thing, and then you, then you jump back on your bike and throw some water in your face like you're sweating, and you, and you, get, the, you get the medal and the, the, photo, the photo finish and all that. But when you quit, you don't get the prize. When you quit, you don't get the That is so basic and so common sense, isn't it? And the Bible is simply telling us that we need to go the whole distance so that after we've done the will of God, because some of you have a lot, of, a lot invested in your Christian walk. Some of you have spent a lot of time learning about God. Some of you have spent a lot of time trying to get your life together or allowing God to get your life together. Some of you guys have spent a lot of time struggling with your flesh and, and bringing it under the, 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 the Spirit's control and, and, and learning to obey God and studying and, and talking to people and reading and praying and growing. You've, you've invested a lot of time in, in your Christian walk. And there's a reward that wait, awaits you at the end. There are ongoing blessings, but there's an ultimate reward. But what he's saying is if you quit, you don't get the prize. If you quit, you're disqualified. So you've got to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. With regard to ministry, with regard to ministry, we, we work and labor and strive. We've got, with regard to this church, we've got, you and I have an investment in this work. We have a personal investment. I've got over 20 years. Some of you have over, some of you have more invested in this church. You've been here longer than I have. Some of you were here when I came here. We have time and effort and tears and, and agony and anguish that we've gone through to build ministry and to reach out to the lives of people and to bless people. There's a financial investment that we have in this work together. There are a lot of things that come into play and we have started something and we have gone to a certain distance and we're continuing forward. But the thing is, we don't receive what is promised until we persevere to the end because we can do the will of God for a season. We can do it. And then if we allow ourselves to get tired and discouraged and quit, then what happens? We don't receive the promised blessing. I was reading a piece about a swimmer that I think is an apt illustration of these points. And Florence Chadwick was the daughter of a San Diego police officer. She grew up on the beach and fell in love with the water. Very early in, in her life, it became evident that Chadwick excelled at endurance swimming. Although she started competitive swimming at age six, her first victory was in a two and a half mile rough water swim at the age of 10, I'd do the two and a half uh, feet rough water swim, where she placed fourth. A year later, she won first place in a six-mile rough water race. Endurance sw swimming, this writer continues, is a unique kind of competition requiring special abilities and a mental and physical perseverance far beyond what is required of shorter distance swimmers. It requires athletes to keep good form, technique, and concentration for many hours. 
continues, most marathon runners, uh, marathon swimmers rather, swim between 70 and, uh, 60 and 70 strokes a minute. Therefore, a 10-hour swim, can you imagine that, wow. would require 42,000 strokes. Wow. And a 14-hour swim would require 58,000 strokes, which is an incredible feat. There are also hazards unique to open water, long-distance ocean swimming. The swimmer must navigate through a pitch-black night, often dealing with thick fog, enduring swarms of jellyfish, and be constantly vigilant about the presence of sharks. Chadwick first made history in her crossing of the English Channel. The Channel swim was considered to be the greatest challenge available to swimmers in her day. The fact that less than 7% who attempt to swim across the English Channel complete the 23-mile trip is a testament to the difficulty of the task. On August 8, 1950, after training for two years, Chadwick set a world record for the crossing, swimming from France to England in 13 hours and 20 minutes. On September 11, 1951, Chadwick made a historic return trip and swam back. Despite dense fog and strong headwinds, she prevailed through a 16-hour and 22-minute ordeal and became the first woman to swing, swim the channel both ways from France to England as well as from England to France. Almost a year later, she attempted to set another record by becoming the first woman to swim 21 miles across the Catalina Channel on the California coast. She made her first attempt on July 4th, 1952. The weather was dreadful that day. The ocean was ice cold. The fog was so thick that she could hardly see the support boats that followed her, and sharks prowled the water around her. Several times her support crew used rifles to drive away the sharks. While Americans watched on television, she swam for hours, pressing on and through the fog. Her mother and her trainer, who were in one of the support boats, encouraged her to keep going. However, after 15 hours and 55 minutes, still unable to see any significant distance through the fog, she succumbed to the circumstances and ended the attempt, asking her support crew to pull her from the water. What she didn't realize when she finally tossed in the towel was that she was less than a mile from the shore. She was incredibly close to completing the task because she couldn't see, but because she couldn't see through the dense fog, note that, she had no idea how close she was. After the failed attempt, she told a reporter that if only she could have seen the other shore, she could have completed the swim. But while, the, while pressing through the fog, unable to see the goal, she became overwhelmed by the sense that she wasn't making any progress at all. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes. Continues. The final goal was out of sight, but the thick fog, the rough seas, and the prowling sharks were very evident. In other words, she couldn't see the goal, but she saw all of the perils and obstacles that were around her and before her. In an uncharacteristic moment of weakness, she allowed that which was seen overwhelm that which was as of yet unseen. Losing sight of the goal, she surrendered to her circumstances. But over 20 rough miles behind her, she gave up with only a half mile left to go. My, my, my. What a vivid illustration of perseverance and the problem of perseverance in the face of trouble in the face of trial, in the face of difficulty, in the face of obstacles. We get so close 
to the finish line sometimes, but we can't see it because of it's, it's obscured by all the other junk that's going on. It, we can't hear the voice of, of the coach calling us in on the last bit of the race because of, of all of the, 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 the cacophonous sounds that fill the air around us. We, we, we get so close, and yet sometimes we fail to make those last few steps because we don't see the end that is right before us. Or we, allow, we allow ourselves to become distracted or dissuaded or discouraged. And in the case of Chadwick, she, she couldn't see the shore. She was right there. But she saw the sharks. She saw the schools of jellyfish, probably anticipated the painful stings that I'm sure she had endured from those creatures. She saw the thick fog. I hate fog. I like it on one hand. Thank you, Sherry. I, my sentiments exactly. I liked it. I liked it with like when it's over my house and I can just sit and look at it. But you know how it is? It's really funny that you can be in thick fog and you get lost in places that you thought you knew. You can get lost in your own neighborhood. I find myself, you have to really look at the, at the street signs to see where you are, where otherwise it's a no-brainer. You know where you just drive, you just go places. And so this is the challenge to us. And this is why this, the Lord is speaking this to us this year with regard to our personal lives and regard to our ministry together. Because Christians bite the dust all the time. Now, I know you know, it depends on what's, what, where on the Calvinistic, Ar Arminian scale you, you find yourselves, how you feel about apostasy and backsliding and falling away. But I'll tell you what, just practically speaking, Christians bite the dust all the time. And in this day and age, in this era, Christians are biting the dust like never before. Christians get weary. Christians get tired. There's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of things that lure us away. And and it's, it's like, the problem is this, if we don't persevere to the end, we don't get the prize. And so the challenge to all of us as God's people is this. Perseverance is probably one, I mean, it's among the cardinal virtues of our faith. I mean, without perseverance, we have nothing without, I mean, it's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, you know. He says, if I, I can speak with tongues of men and angels and blah, 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 but if I, if I, if, if I, don't have love, I'm nothing, I gain nothing, you know, basically I can have all this, all of the charismata, I can have all the things of the Spirit, but without love, uh, it means nothing. And you can have this wonderful dynamic relationship and walk with God, you can do a lot of great things for God, you can have years of testimony, you can have your, 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 all your records in, 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 in order as far as what you've done, you can have this history and this, this, this uh, timeline, but without perseverance, where are you? Because what good is it if you quit? And I don't think there's too many of us here today that are at risk of quitting our faith. No. But you might quit some of the disciplines that are getting you through. You might quit prayer when prayer is your, life, your lifeline. You might quit reading your Bible and studying your Bible because of, of, uh, of the pressures around you or because of distraction. And, and that is your spiritual food. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, you might quit you know, getting together with the people of God, as he says some are prone to do. We might quit things that we need to not quit, but step up. You know what I'm saying? See, the strategy is this. When you feel like quitting something that is vital, that's probably a signal to you that rather than quitting, you should just step it up, crank it up, and dial it up some more. If, if the enemy's trying to tempt you to quit praying, then you need to make sure you set aside some more time and you dig in deeper because it's a blessing that he's trying to keep you from. 
if the enemy tries to rob your Bible study and your quiet time from you, you need to go at that with a vengeance because you know the devil is simply trying to steal from you that which is, is important to you and that which is the source of blessing in your life. You don't give up. You don't quit. You dial it up. You, you, you press in. Perseverance is key to our success. As Christians, it's key to our success as a church in the kingdom of God. Because here's the deal, and you know how this works. We have a job to do, don't we? I have a job to do. I've been getting up every Sunday morning, almost every Sunday morning. For almost 22 years coming here. And, and all of the things, the attendant responsibilities that go with that, right? Bible studies and other classes and counseling and ministry and, and cleaning and work at, at, on the building and all that. You know, I mean, in 20 some odd years, we've done a lot of stuff. And I have, I have an objective and a goal in mind. I see this church not as it is, but as it will be. And you know what comes to mind? And I'll just drop this. We want to leave behind a legacy in this community, in this city in this world, which necessitates us passing to younger and subsequent generations the faith that we profess and hold and, and the challenge to lead and to speak God's word in the world today. Now, that's one, I, I, I don't want to turn around and retire at some point or resign and the denominations say, well, you know, not much going on. We'll just shut the church down, and it just doesn't exist anymore. That happens. Smaller churches that are struggling, sometimes when a leader decides to move on, sometimes denominations or sometimes groups of people decide, well, this is, you know, we'll just... I want, and you want, for all the work that you've done, all the money you've invested, all the time you've given, we want to see... I want to see something that when we're dead and gone 50 years from now, when we're, we've gone home to be with Jesus, that something is still, I don't care about no plaques on the wall and no names on the pews and no, no human recognition. I don't care about no building being named after me or anything like that. But I want, I want to know that there's work. See, I, I don't care about all the fluff stuff. I'm glad that if, I know that there are people in the world in this, on this planet and a lot of places that, that I have been able to touch and, and affect their lives through the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of God's word and discipleship. And I don't care about the formal part. I'm just, I know. And I want to know when it's all said and done. And you want to know that what we were doing over there wasn't just about me and it wasn't just about you and it wasn't just about us feeling good and having church and doing our little religious party, but we were building something that was bigger than us, that was beyond ourselves, that would leave a lasting legacy for the generations to come. Because look at the situation in the world around us. Look at the, the challenges we face. I'll just put one issue before you. Look, at, look at, at, the, at the issue, the challenge of the difficulties faced by black males, particularly young black males. There are serious issues there, serious concerns. We are in a community where we have an opportunity to make some kind of difference and to do something to ameliorate or to, to attenuate some of the pain and some of the struggle and to bring some young people into a better understanding of God's truth and to make disciples. We can make a difference, but we'll never do it if we quit. So each, everything that you, I mean, some of you have, some of you have, have, have various posts that you occupy, things that God has you doing, areas where you're leading and serving. And I would encourage you. I know sometimes you're going through and says, man, we're trying to get this done, and it just seems, and I don't know, and, and you're in the fog. 
and you see the jellyfish swimming around you. All of the obstacles, the sharks, the people that talk about you, that don't understand you, the, 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 the people in your family, why do you go to church all the time? All of the, the, the issues of the resources that we don't have, that we're by faith trying to walk in, and, and all of those things, and that's what we see. We don't see that maybe there's a breakthrough that's right over the horizon. Maybe there's something that's just ahead of us that's greater than we can imagine. Maybe God has something for us that we never dreamed of, but we'll never get to that thing if we give up. Because I'm not holding out just for the stuff that I can see and I can dream up. Because the Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the good things that God has prepared for those who love him. I'm holding out for the stuff that's beyond my imagination because he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. So wherever we are in our goal setting, wherever we are in our vision, wherever we are in our planning, God says, yeah, I want you to pursue that. Go after that because I, because I placed that in your heart. But I've got something for you that is beyond what you see because we walk by faith and not by sight. We look not to the things that are seen for the things that are seen are what? Temporal or temporary. We look to the things that are not seen because those things are what? Eternal. So we need perseverance. Let me just give you... Uh, Look at, let's look at a couple of other verses here. Galatians 6, 9 from the English Standard Version. This is Paul. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. This echoes the same sentiment we've just shared. Why? Because in due season we'll do what? If we, now, we could mess with the text a little bit. So, in due season we will reap even if we give up. Is that what he says? He says, in due, in due season we will reap despite our giving up. No. no. Notice the condition there. If, if, say if. Yeah. How many of you want to reap a harvest of blessing in your life? How many of you want to reap a harvest of righteousness? How many of you want, want to reach a harvest of abundance in your life? How many of you want to see lives change through your life? How many of you want to see us as a church reap a harvest of souls in the community? Well, here's the deal. He says, we will reap but the condition is, it is conditional. If you're a farmer, you can say, I'm a farmer. Farmers reap. But farmers don't reap if farmers don't plant. And farmers might plant, but if farmers don't cultivate, far farmers don't reap. If farmers don't go in there and pull out the weeds and, and, and spray for the bugs and, and, and make sure everything and put the water on the plant... Farmers don't just reap because they call them farmers. Churches don't just, don't just succeed because we call ourselves a church. You're not just a church because you call yourself one. You're a church when you're doing the will of God and you're doing the things that please Jesus. He says, but he says, don't grow weary. How, if you're doing good in your life, don't get tired. That's easy for me to say, right? Who am I to tell you? Don't get tired. But the Word of God says, don't be weary. When you're doing good, don't allow yourself. So what, what, how do you deal with that? You got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You got to stay in the Word. You got to stay around other people that will encourage you and lift you. Stay away, stay away from the negative people that are going to take talk you down into a hole. Because you're going to need people that are going to say, "Hey, you know, we, we keep on going. We're almost there. Keep on going. You're going to reap a harvest. God is good. God's going to do what He says. God keeps His promises. He says, "Let us not grow weary of doing good, because we'll reap in due season." And what does that mean? In your in your season. In my season? In due season. 
who determines what's the due season? God. It says in his time. But here's the condition. If we do not give up. Up, up. Why you go ahead of me like that? Now, three things here that I think we can conclude from this and we can wrap it up. Number one, often our victory is just over the horizon. Right? So right now where you are, there might be a blessing. There might be victory. There might be a harvest. For us as a church, I think it's souls. I think it's productivity in the kingdom of God. It is ministry. It is maturity. It is discipleship. But there's something out there and it's just over the horizon. It's just, it's just beyond where you can see. So you know the challenge then is to keep going until you get to, to the thing that God has promised you. God promised us, and this is what we just got from the last verse, a harvest in due season. In other words, not you season, but due season. And the harvest is based on the condition that we persevere and don't give up. Okay? It is conditional based on the condition that we don't give up. So in the final analysis, what is our challenge? If God is calling us to step up. He's calling us to, to serve, to work together as a team, to pursue excellence in everything in our life for him and what we do, to embrace prayer, to, to move forward in unwavering faith, and ultimately to persevere. There's a picture that emerges there. Of a certain kind of steadfastness. There's a picture that emerges there of a certain kind of engaged lifestyle. There's a picture that emerges there of, of people who are serious about what we're doing and who won't, who won't settle for second best in the kingdom of God. We won't settle for mediocrity. We won't, just, we won't just try to get by. We won't just try to give God any old thing, but we're going to give God our best. And it means at the end of the day, when it seems that after we've, after we've served one another in love and served the world in Jesus' name, after we have come together in, in, in teamwork and in cooperation and in collaboration, and after we have in, in pursued excellence in our, in our relationship with God, in our, in our lifestyle, in our walk for God, in the things we do for the kingdom of God, after we have lived faithfully, and, and I know many of you could say that you have been praying for certain things and praying for years and years and, and, and calling on God, after you have stood in unwavering faith on the word of God and the promises of God, after you've done all that stuff, there's one thing left and there's one last piece that has to... To, to be added to this puzzle, and that is that you've got to persevere. Because when you do all those things, we're, aren't we tempted to think, man, it, we, we think everything is kind of like, ka-ching. If I serve people, God is going to bless us like today. How many, how, how many of you know that sometimes you serve in various ways for years and years without seeing the fruit of that? You, do, you serve because... That's what Jesus does and who Jesus is, and we are Jesus' people. We serve because that's the ethic of Christ. And Jesus said, you ought to do, if I, your master, have washed your feet, surely you ought to do that for each other. And you may serve in certain venues and in certain ways. You may serve your lifetime and never see the full fruit of that. But you keep on serving. You keep on serving. You keep on serving. When it comes to, to teamwork and it comes to working collaboratively and working in concert with other believers and coming together in unity and, and, and working, basically finding what our gifts are and our abilities and working in that. We do that and we labor and we struggle together. And then there comes a moment when it seems difficult because sometimes you know it would be easier to do the thing by yourself. But we keep on reaching out. 
We keep on including. We keep on drawing others in. We keep on trying to extend ourselves into the lives of others to serve together, building alliances and coalitions so that we can get the work done because we understand from Scripture and from the way the church works, we get so much more done, the pr product exponentially, even when it seems like, like we could do, yes, we could do it better ourselves, but it's like, yeah, I could have a one-man church, but what would that be? It'd be me here. Excellence. You get tired of doing things well. You know how that goes. In the realm of physical training, when you are so tired that you cannot maintain proper form, you ought to quit. In the spiritual realm, we need to maintain proper form. And when we feel like we're getting tired, we need to go and find a way to recharge our batteries so that we can keep doing what we're doing in excellence. Prayer, we get, we get tired. And we were having this discussion we had it last week to some degree. We had it uh, this week when we talked about the audacity of prayer. And uh, yeah, that was, that was on, huh? I mean, I got something out of that, that passage just uh, looking at the, the, word, the language in the Greek and stuff. You know, because people got these laws they make up. You want to take one verse out of the Bible and you're going to make a law and this is the way it's done when you fail to take into consideration the whole teaching of Scripture and, and 2,000 plus years of church history and the way Christians have kind of thought and, and done theology and done, done church in 2000. So, you know, so then on one hand, people are saying, well, you know, if you really have faith, you only ask for something one time. And if you ask for it anymore, it shows you don't have faith. And God won't give you. But then we, there's this guy, his name is Jesus. This guy, we call him Master. We call him Lord call him rabbi, we call him savior. And he said, we read it the other night, he said it in recorded two places in the Gospels, he said, and you got to understand the Greek grammar to get this, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, you don't get the full measure of that until you understand that that comes to us in the present tense. So to, to translate it out literally would be something like this, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. For the one who keeps on asking. Now sometimes there's this prayer of faith that the Spirit will, will lead you into. Sometimes you're going to pray for something and you will see it in your spirit. You will behold it. You will, you will grab a hold of God's Word. You'll grab and you'll pray and you'll say it. You'll pray one time and you'll know it's done and you will never ask again. And that's wonderful. That's beautiful. But there are other issues in life where you find yourself that they really kind of require some sort of perseverance. I have to at least go back and thank him for the answer over and over again until I see it. But sometimes it means that you're going to talk to God over and over again about your, your lost loved one. You're going to talk to Jesus over and over again about that besetting sin in your life. You're going to go back to the throne of grace over and over again about that one intractable problem in your life and you're going to pour out your heart before God and you're going to keep on praying and you might be tempted to quit. I'm tired of praying because and with that, that emotion if you succumb to that it, send, it sends a signal of unfaith that says I give up, I don't believe. Amen. And maybe in that moment your faith is struggling but what you do, you keep on asking and you keep on seeking and you keep on knocking because it's those who dare who have the persistence, the tenacity and the audacity to, to keep on in the face of adversity. 
And you understand that I'm not going to re-preach, uh, teach Wednesday night, but it's like this. If parents, you know that there's something, you're going to do good things for your kids because they bug you. You do good things because they need it, and you'll do some things because they bug you. Sometimes they're, they're, there's a parable of the unjust judge, certain people that will give you a response just because you're wearing them out with your insistence. And now, and it's not that, and, and it's like, it's not like that's how God is. It's God, it's the thing is the how much more. Because if, if, if I bug Charlene enough, I could probably get her to do something or go somewhere with me that she don't want to go. I said, come on, Charlene, go with me to this place. But he said, if that's the case, how much more will your heavenly... It's not that you're bugging God to do things he doesn't want to do. It's just that sometimes it seems the situation requires and God looks for the kind of faith that will not give up and that will keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. He says, how much more will your heavenly Father who loves you and is committed to you, who, who loves you with an undying love, who loves you with ultimate faithfulness and fidelity, who will always hear your cry, who only intends good things for you, who only has good plans for you, who plan, has no plans for evil, no plans to harm you, but plans to bring you into an expected end, into his purpose and into a destiny. How much more will he, when you call out to him and cry out to him, I know it seems sometimes like he doesn't hear you. I know it seems sometimes like it doesn't work. I know it seems sometimes like we're just, we're just like making noise. How much more will your heavenly father says give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love, his mercy. Hebrew word has said means covenant love, unfailing love. That's the same mercy in Psalms 23 says, goodness and mercy has said, covenant love will follow me all the days of my life. And I, how much more will that God give good things to those who ask him? So you keep on praying. Don't give up. So guys, I know we've been doing this, our first Saturday prayer for years now. And, and I know that, man, I remember there's sometimes, one time, I, sometimes as a pastor, you make these bold proclamations and people do it one time. I want everybody to be here on this first Saturday night. There were like 20 some odd people here. And I'll sit here waiting. Like, oh, that's wonderful. And then, you know, then next week, next month, we go back to like five and ten. And ten is our normal. And that's cool. You know, I'm not, believe me, I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 no there's no, nothing negative here. But the point, but here's, here's what we want to do. Just think about it. We as a church, what we've got, the challenge, we'll have these ebbs and flows that are normal in the life of an organization, in the life of, of you, in, in, in the life of me. There are, listen, we do have ups and downs. Should we? Probably not. But that's life. And God meets you in the up, and he's with you in the up, and he meets you, and he's with you in the down. And he'll push you back up if you let him. What we need to do is make sure that we have a mindset of perseverance, that we're going we're gonna to do this thing, we're going to keep doing it, and there are things we've been asking for, there are things we're praying for, we're going to keep on doing it until we see it. God har promises us a harvest in due season. And the harvest is based on the condition that we persevere and not give up. Amen. So, so that what I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we will, by the help of God's Spirit and by the counsel of God's Word, allow perseverance along with some of these other values, all of these other things, become a part of our culture as a people. You hear me? Yeah. 
You know that we have a culture? Yes. Every group of people has a culture. We have a church culture. And it's characterized by a few things. You, 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 you are a friendly church. You really are. You are a, a uh, we are an eating church. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you, in, in, but in a way that is strategically valid, because we, we embrace hospitality as a means to share the love and, and, and compassion of God with each other and with other people. And, to, and we use food as a social lubricant, so to speak, to, to, uh, to enhance fellowship. That's part of our culture. There, and some of these other values are, are really a part of our culture as well, but we probably want to make some of them more so. But perseverance, we want that to be a part of the culture of Grace Chapel. And we as a church, when we, the mission that we've set out to accomplish, we will not as a church quit until we see God bring into fruition that which we pray for and that which we've labored for. It means, that when, we, it means that when you're asked to do something to the best of your ability, you're going to stick with it and see it through. And if you can't see it through, you'll resign from it properly and turn it over to somebody else and not just drop the ball. Because that kind of stuff doesn't help our cause and it doesn't help our mission. And you know, we had a, and in every setting that, that happens where people are sometimes holding down a very key place in, in the life of the church and then they just decide to disappear. And then it leaves everybody wondering, well, who's going to do this and what's going to happen now? So when this becomes a part of our DNA, then we, we begin to do things differently and think differently. And that's without leadership browbeating you and, and that kind of stuff. But that's because that's what's in us. So servanthood is in us. It means we, and, and you know, that, that's the other part of our DNA, I think, at this point. Well, that all, I think there is a, a strong component of servanthood in our culture that God is strengthening and deepening. So I want to stop there, and I want to pray this morning real simply. You know what I want to do? Amen. Thank you. If, if, you, if you receive the word that was spoken this morning, if you receive the truth that was spoken this morning, just put your hands together. Not for me, but for the word. <laughs>